Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to open up our Bibles today. We're so grateful. Father, we just ask you to give wisdom, Lord, to President-elect, Vice President-elect. Lord, wisdom beyond their years as they take on this enormous challenge. And Father, I thank you that, that you will continue to give wisdom to our President Trump and Vice President Pence as they go through this transition. And Father, we just believe that, that your will and your plan for this nation will continue to stand. We continue to pray. We continue to believe God. We continue, Lord God, to put our trust in you because you have been in all of our tomorrows. And Father, we thank you for this word today. I pray that you'll bless this word. I thank you that your word is already blessed, but you'll uh, anoint the words that come out of my heart, anoint the ears to hear it in the right attitude, in the right frame of mind, whether we're here or wherever we are, Lord, in our homes and in overflow. We thank you, Father God, that truth prevails, and truth is what we need to hear today, and we thank you for it. We give you all the honor and glory for it, and all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. I'm so grateful today that in the, wow, in the midst of a nation uh, that's never been more divided, uh, angry on every front, and such uncertainty uh, that's all around us, I'm so grateful that God's Word comes to our rescue. Anybody grateful for God's Word coming to our rescue today? Absolutely am. And thank God for that. So if you have your Bibles or your favorite digital devices, let's turn, please, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We know that Jesus was the greatest person to ever walk on the face of the earth, and no one has impacted their world more and continues thousands of years later after his death and resurrection like Jesus. And so here we read some very important scriptures in verse 1. Jesus starts talking to the Father about what he had accomplished, some of the key things he accomplished while on the earth, and then he begins to pray for his disciples. And then the emphasis of his prayer begins to change, and now he begins to pray for you and me. He says that those that believe in him through what his disciples taught, that's us. So here's my question. If you knew you were ready to die, and this is the last days before Jesus' death, hours before he's going to be arrested, wouldn't you pray something that was important and impactful? Yes? Of course you would. You wouldn't just be praying something just for the sake of praying something because you had some extra time on your hands. No, Jesus lived a life on purpose, and he never did something just to pass the time. So here Jesus begins to pray for you and for me and for all who would believe and follow him after his death and resurrection. We are always asking Jesus to answer our prayers, we have a unique opportunity here to be the answer to one of Jesus's prayers. How powerful is that? Every day we're asking Jesus, every day we're asking the Father, answer our prayer, answer our prayer, answer our prayer. Isn't it unique and interesting that we're going to read a prayer that you and I have a part to play in being his answer to prayer? I want to be Jesus' answer to prayer. Amen. He's been so faithful to me. He's been so faithful to my family. He's been so faithful to all of us. Man, what an opportunity. So here in John 17, we'll pick it up in verse 20. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, of course, his 12, but for all who will ever, that's us, will believe in me through their message. 
I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I'm sure you will admit today that this is a powerful prayer. This is one of those big, bodacious prayers, isn't it? This is one of those enormous prayers. My prayer to all the people that would follow me is that we would all be one. It's quite a prayer. When I read that prayer, in my natural mind, I'm thinking, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Are you really praying what I think you're praying? Are you really saying that you want us all to be one? And I'm thinking, Jesus, are you praying for the same church I've been a part of all my life? Right? It's like I was born on the front row of the church, right? Mom, mom had me right there, boom, on the front row, and I've been on the front row ever since. So I have been in the church a very long time. Vera and I have uh, been in full-time church work for 44 years. And so when I think about this, I think about what in the world are you thinking? I have heard more things, positive and negative, about church folk all my life, more than I want to know. And the word one is not one of those words that would describe the church of Jesus Christ. Am I in the right room? See, it's disheartening to me to read online the, the, the angry, mean-spirited things church folks are saying to each other. I just can't get over that. I'm sorry. It, it just continues this, this, to dishearten me. I, I've never seen it greater. I've never heard more anger. I've never seen more division. I've never seen more uncertainty. I've never seen more arrows and spears and hand grenades being thrown at church people. It, it just, it's overwhelming to me. I, I've, I've not known that. I've known that there are issues and stuff happens, but to the degree that I'm reading right now is pretty crazy. If you're looking at this prayer just in your own ability, this is impossible. Father, I'm praying that those who believe you will become one. Statistics tell us there's 236 religious groups. Over 400,000 churches in the U.S. alone. 400,000. Over 150 million participants. And here's what Jesus said. I'm praying for them that they all become one. Now, unfortunately, because of a men's, men's agenda um, and their attitude to control um, and the devil's desire to divide and conquer, we know it's been very difficult for Jesus' prayer to be answered. Now, I don't have a national platform to all those 400,000 churches in the United States, but I do have a platform here. And I do have some influence here. So today, my remarks are not about the global church, the universal church, uh, even local churches. My remarks today are, are, are designed and focused on this local church, International Family Church a church that I love, a church that my wife and I have laid our life down for, 
a church that our team and our, our leadership prays for, believes for, we, we give our very best for, that we do whatever we can do to make sure that, that this church and your existence and your growth and, and, and your opportunities for all that God wants to do in your life become a reality. I, I want to talk to that church today. Amen. I'm going to use a, a different word than the word one. The word one actually means to be united. Let's talk about that today. To be united. How do we do this, IFC? How do we do this? How do we become Jesus's answer to prayer? Let's go to our big takeaway. Our big takeaway is becoming united doesn't happen around a man, doesn't happen around a name of a church or which political party we voted for. It happens when we become united around Jesus. Amen. That's a powerful statement right there. And I believe it's one that we need to unpack and one we need to understand. It'll take me two weeks, this week and next week, to, to help us understand the power of this and the truth of this. If we're trying to become united under me, come on, everybody, let's rally around Pastor Jonathan. If we're trying to rally around IFC, come on, everybody, we love IFC. Come on, we are all IFC. Let's rally around IFC. Or if we're all trying to rally around a certain political agenda, come on, everybody, let's, let's rally around this particular political agenda. If that is our attitude, we will never become one. We are never going to happen. We're never going to be the answer to prayer that Jesus needs for us to be. Here's what I've learned, and here's what I want you to understand. A divided nation needs a united church. I need you to expand your thinking today. I need you to think just more than just about you, about your fears, your anxieties, your uncertainty, the challenges of your life, what's going on around you. I know there are many. And I know many of us through this COVID season are, are, are not, uh, we're a whole lot worse than we were before the season started. And others, they're, they're, we're stronger than ever before. There's a big, wide spectrum. And, and all that needs to be addressed. I get it. But we're in a specific time right now where I need you to think bigger. I need you to go up higher. I need you to have the macro view. I know many of you have the micro view, but I need you to stretch yourself today. I need you to open up your heart today. I need you to get beyond your own personal preferences and your own personal fears and, and uncertainties today. Amen. A divided nation needs a united church. The church has never been more important than it is right now. The church of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the alive church, the church that preaches the gospel, the church that preaches healing for all, the church that preaches restoration, the church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God's will to be saved and to be whole. That church I'm talking about today. The church needs to rise up and be more united than ever. Why? Because there's more at stake than ever before. But if Jesus became our focus, without a doubt, we could become united. We could become one, and Jesus' prayer could be answered. And I believe there, there, there must be something Jesus knew that we don't know. There must be something, some kind of power that is released, some kind of something that God wants to do for a group of Christian followers to come together and declare, we want to do whatever it takes to be united. We want to be one. Jesus is telling us here that he gave us something. 
And this something he gave us, if we would focus on it, is going to help us to be united. Verse 22 says this, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. It's very important that we understand this word glory for a few moments. That's a word that most people, most Christians don't understand. Oh, we hear about the glory of God in the Old Testament and how the glory of God would roll in and, and as a cloud and would fill the temple as they were worshiping God. That's one expression of the glory. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. He's not referring to that glory of the Old Testament. The glory he has given us is the divine nature of God with the accompanying power that comes with it. And the administrator of that power is the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus is referring to the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do in the lives of believers who will yield to that Spirit. Jesus had the Spirit of God without measure upon him, the Bible tells us. And, and the Bible says that Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, he was anointed by God, um, full of power, and by the Spirit of God, he was anointed with power because he had the Holy Spirit with him and upon, within him and upon him. Jesus has done that for us through the new birth. The Holy Spirit within us and the Holy Spirit now is available to come upon us. Why? To help us love and serve others inside and outside the church. Please understand, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were born of the Spirit. You were born with the capacity to love others with the God kind of love. Now, in order to be the answer to prayer that Jesus prayed, we have to now yield to that power, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. When we do that, we tap into a supernatural help to love others and walk in unity. We can't do this without supernatural help. It's obvious. It's obvious the church needs help. It's obvious IFC needs help. It's obvious that we, with over our 60 different nations and every, every imaginable thought, preference, conviction, political persuasion that you could imagine, somehow God thought it, got it necessary to bring us all together. Somehow God thought, you know what, I'm going to do something that's unique. I'm going to do something that, that I want the world to pay attention to. I'm going to do something that I want the, that the believers and believers of every kind of, 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 of cloth, cut out of whatever cloth it might be, to come together. As your pastor, my prayer is that you will desire this and that you will actively participating participate in making unity your top priority. It can't be done with your cooperation. It can't be done with maybe some attitude adjustments. It can't be done without understanding how do we do this? How? Okay, I understand that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, but how do we do this? Jesus is saying, I'm giving them the power of the Holy Spirit so they can all become united. Well, here's where we start. We start by understanding that in order to be the answer to Jesus' prayer, we need to understand three building blocks to unity. And you understand these building blocks. 
If you understand them, we have something to build on. We have work to be done, no doubt. We have ground to cover, no doubt. We need, we, there's work to be done. Absolutely there is. Amen. But I'm not going to shy away from it just because it's so hard. Just because it's a difficult thing. Just because it seems impossible in the natural. We can't be shying away, right? We, the church, the church has always been countercultural, right? And we got to maintain our counterculturalness, if you will. Amen. If we're going to be the church, if we're going to be the light, if we're going to be that light in dark times, if we're going to be that answer to prayer, then we have to be willing to go, right, um, to a, a, oftentimes a challenging place so that we can represent the Lord well and be answered to his prayer. Amen. So, number one, are you ready for this? The first building block is, number one, one enemy. One enemy. As followers of Christ, we only have one enemy. Say it with me, one enemy. enemy. Say it again. Your enemy is not your spouse or any other family member. Your enemy is not your boss or those difficult difficult co-workers. Your enemy is not that pastor or that church who offended you. Your enemy is not the person who looks, thinks, acts, and votes differently than you do. And believe it or not, your enemy is not the Republicans or the Democrats. President Trump and now President Biden are not your enemy. As followers of Christ, we only have one enemy. Say one enemy. Some of you aren't saying it. Say one enemy. Amen. As followers of Christ, we only have one enemy. Listen very carefully. If any person, entity, or organization becomes your enemy, becomes the focus of your energy and anger, your life will fall into constant confusion and disorder and eventually destroy the quality of your life. That is so powerful, I'm going to read it again. Any, if any person, entity, or organization, I'm telling you the truth this morning, becomes your enemy, becomes the focus of your energy and anger, your life will fall into constant confusion and disorder and eventually destroy the quality of your life. See, in reality, there is someone else behind all the division, all the anger, all the uncertainty. And we would all do better if we refocused our energy and anger at the real enemy. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, verse 12, for our struggles is not against people. It's not against the Democrats. It's not against the Republicans. It's not against black and brown people or white people. Come on, somebody. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our number one enemy is spiritual. Amen. Our enemy is the devil. And we have one enemy, and the quicker we understand that, the better off our marriages will be, the better off our homes will be, the better off our relationships will be, the better off our church will be. 
There are spiritual forces right now that are trying to destroy the soul of the United States of America. The war that is raging right now is a war against righteousness. Come on, wake up. Amen. This goes a whole lot farther than an election. My goodness. There is an antichrist spirit that's actively working tirelessly to divide and conquer the church and everything Jesus lived, suffered, and died for. We need to wake up, church. You're making it about the Democrats. You're making it about the Republicans. You're making it about Trump or Biden. You're making it about all these other emotional things. And it's so much bigger. And while you're focusing on something down here, the devil's behind the door doing stuff because you're so distracted. Getting all your angry and being all mean-spirited about something that I'm not saying is not important, but in comparison to the battle for our nation and in comparison for the battle of righteousness and the battle for people's souls, we are over here playing tiddlywinks when the devil's over here playing for keeps. The second building block we need to understand number two is one heart. One heart. At the end of the day, we are talking about unity, not uniformity. We will never all dot our I's or cross our T's the same way. It's not going to happen. It'll never be. That's why as followers of Christ, God's word must be our final authority. And loving one another must be our highest priority. They must be our lens as we walk into difficult times, as we walk into stormy times. God's word must be our final authority and loving others with the God kind of love must be our top priority. They are our lens. That's the lens I look at my generation, at generations that are younger than me, at this world and what they're crying out for and all the craziness that's going on. I cannot afford to have any other lens if I'm going to do this God's way and we're going to see God's plan and purpose come to pass. The lens must be God's word as my final authority and the love of God working out in and out of my life. Can I hear an amen today? It works in marriage. It works on our teams. It works in our church. One heart. Say one heart. Say one enemy. One heart. Acts 4, 32 and 34 really gives us a picture of this. All the believers were, in, were one in heart and mind. Wow. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had, verse 34, that there were no needy persons among them. See what happens when we're in one heart, right? Needs are met. Lives are changed. One heart. We must have one heart, a heart for desperate people far from God. One heart here at IFC, a heart for those who have been disenfranchised by a broken system. One heart here at IFC, a heart that desires to grow in God's love and use our resources to make a difference in our communities. One heart. See, we can't have a divided heart. We have to have one heart. And that one heart is born out of God's word and a love for others. 
And when we have God's word as our top priority and a love for others, we will share a common heart because we have one enemy and we have one heart. The third building block to unity is number three, one purpose. Say one purpose. First Corinthians 1.10 in the New Living Bible says this, says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, talking to us believers, talking to us here at IFC, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division is divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Why would the Apostle Paul write it if it wasn't possible? It is possible. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. It takes God's word. It takes love. Rather be in one mind, united in thought and purpose. Where there is disunity, whether in the home, in the workplace, or in the church, listen very carefully, most likely we've allowed other non-essential issues to rule the day. Where there is disunity, I can't tell you how many times on a Saturday night when Vern and I have had aggressive fellowship that day. <laughs> you know what? I am very motivated before I go to bed Saturday night to get that together. Why? Because I, there's a greater purpose waiting for me Sunday morning. It's called standing up here and trying my best to be a man of God. Even though I put my pants on the same way you do, right? I got to deal with the same thing. See, purpose did what? Purpose, because you know how you do couples. You know how you do friends. You, get, you allow non-essential issues, trivial issues to get in the way. We make these mountains out of molehills. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, be honest. Wave at me. Right? Uh, whatever. Help me know you're here. Amen. It's so true. But because of purpose, right? Because there's purpose waiting for me in the morning, I am motivated to deal with these non-essential, trivial issues. Amen. Purpose is so important. When you have one purpose, it makes all the trivial things go away. It puts it all in perspective. Amen. See, while it's true Jesus died for all people and all their imperfections, the church was never meant to be a place where all our, humility, humility, all our humanity takes center stage, but rather Jesus and all that he has done takes center stage. Listen very carefully. When the church focuses on the imperfections of people, it quickly becomes a place of judgment and control instead of a place of love and acceptance. When we are focusing on what you don't like about somebody else, you don't like the way they voted, you don't like how they look. You don't like their attitude. You don't like their imperfections. You don't like the things that, that, that we're working out our salvation. You don't like their habits, or you don't like their language, or you don't like the words they're using, and you don't like that. And so you focus on the imperfections. And what happens when we do focus on imperfections, we become a place of judgment and a place of control. Instead of a place of liberty, instead of a place where, where we have family that comes together, where we're at work knowing that God is working out all of our imperfections. Amen. Aren't you glad today that Jesus is not judging us on all of our imperfections? 
Amen. When we lose our purpose, the trivial becomes important. And purpose motivates us to resolve the non-essential, trivial issues in our lives. It works in marriage. It works in families. It works in every place where there are any more than two people, right? So many people have been hurt by the judgment and the control of an out-of-order, out-of-touch church. Don't confuse the people in the church with God's purpose that's on the church. Don't confuse the people in the church. How many people know that people can do some stupid things? People can say some really dumb things, hurtful things, painful things, right? The church, my goodness, I, I've been at this a long time. I've heard some terrible things, and, and I, I haven't always been the best at saying things the right way. And I can say that I've always been the perfect leader because there's no way that I have. But please, we've got to separate the people in the church with God's purpose that's on the church. The purpose that's on the church is, is royal. It's regal. The purpose that's on the church is, is paramount. Uh, the world waits for us, though they don't know it. Right? The purpose of the church being the hope of the world, being all that we're supposed to be. Amen. See, there's no plan B. There's not a place for you to go if you've been offended by the church. There's not a specific church to go to if you've been written off or you've been judged wrongly or you've been controlled somehow or leadership treated you in the way that was not godly, was not the love of God and, and you were so mistreated and, and shamed and, 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 and put guilt on you. You see, the church is a place of rescue. It's a spiritual hospital. It's an oasis in the desert. It's a family. It's a community. Amen. And so whenever we get our eyes on the people in the church, we, for, we don't understand the purpose that's on the church. May the purpose that's on the church cause us to rise above our, our arguments and right above, rise above the mean-spirited words and rise above the attitude and rise above the judgment and the control that is on churches. My goodness, I hear more stories from more church folk who've been beat up Amen. Listen, if it weren't for imperfect people in church, where would you and I go? Where would you and I go? If the church is only for perfect people, there'd be no place for you and me to go. Right? IFC is a place where no perfect people are allowed because there's no such place. And as soon as you try to find one, the day you go there is the day you messed it up. Right? Because you are so imperfect, even though you think you're all that hot. <laughs> Jesus died for imperfect people, and the church is for imperfect people. So because of our imperfections, Jesus must be our focus. Because of our imperfections, the Holy Spirit, our helper, counselor, advocate, intercessor, standby, must be our focus. Let me close by reading John 17, 22 and 23. Let's bring this to a close today. Are you glad you came to church today? Yeah. Are you glad you're out there watching online today? I hope so. Put some emojis in the chat column, if you will. Amen. Some thumbs up. 
That'll help. Amen. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, our unity is what Jesus said would be our testimony. Our testimony to those outside the church that God sent Jesus to them, that he's the son of God and that God loves them. It's all about testimony. It's all about our example. Church, we have forgotten our purpose. Our purpose is unity. That's our purpose. Amen. Say one purpose. May you now realize my one purpose as being a part of a local body of believers is to do my part. My part. I can't do anybody else's part. To do my part to bring unity, to be united. Our unity is one of the greatest evangelistic tools the church has. We are not here as a church for ourselves what we want to do, our own agenda. We are the church of the living God. We are the mighty, mighty church. Amen. A living, breathing, vibrant billboard for all the world to see. When the church is one, the world will be one. When the church is O-N-E, the world will be W-O-N. The world will be one. See, there's something about our testimony that's at stake here. May we not be just any other regular group of people that the world says, yeah, you guys, you talk a good talk, but you're like everybody other church I've ever been to. May we have a testimony that's otherwise. I want all of our first-time guests that come here to IFC, I want them to see how unified we are. At least we're working at it. We love everybody. We don't judge them. We love them. I believe a church full of people who are united around a Jesus-centered vision and unconditionally loving others is a church worth investing your time, treasure, and talent in. Amen. That's IFC. At least that's what we've been working hard to try to do. You may want to know my heart. Here it is. Man, that they'll see that. And when you know that, you'll say, man, that's, that's my home. That's my church. Those are my people. That's my family, right? Those are the folks that I want to live with. Those are the folks I want to grow around and be around. Those are the church folks that, man, they might not be perfect and they might judge me for this behavior or this attitude or this part of my life I'm still growing in, but that's my family. And I'm willing to sacrifice my time, my treasure, and my talents to make sure it works in Jesus' name. Come on, can I hear a big amen today? That's who we are. We have one enemy. We have one heart. And we have one purpose. And if you're making anything else an enemy, stop it. Stop it. Stop putting all your energy and anger in the wrong enemy. Come on. What would happen if we put all that energy, all that righteous indignation towards the right enemy? 
and finally realize this thing is bigger than we think. It's spiritual, it's not natural, right? There are natural things to it, absolutely. But we have one enemy, we have one heart that binds us together and one purpose that always reminds us when we get off track so that we can keep our testimony strong to a lost and dying world. What was our big takeaway? Becoming united doesn't happen around a man or a name of a church or which political party we voted for. It happens when we become one around Jesus. Wow. Did you learn something today? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Please, all of us.